right, welcome into 910 AM, the Superstation. You're on car radio. I am Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you on the program for the next two hours for the best car radio show in all of Michigan. And we have a great lineup for you today. As always, I am broadcasting live from Stratford, Virginia. I'm a uh, car columnist, uh, car reviewer. I'm on the road quite a bit. And uh, this weekend brings me to uh, Stratford, Virginia. Next weekend I'll be in uh, in uh, Columbus, Ohio for uh, racing cars at Mid-Ohio race, uh, race Course. So if I'm not on the if I'm not in the studio, chances are I'm somewhere around this country racing cars or driving cars. So uh, great to be in the great state of Virginia, about 50 miles south of Washington, D.C. And we have a great program for you today. We're going to be talking uh, about Mustang, wishing Mustang a happy birthday. It's the 59th anniversary, uh, our 59th uh, year of Mustangs in this country. Uh, we love the badge, and there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on with Mustang these days. We're going to be talking to Ted Ryan, who is the uh, head of Ford Archives, uh, celebrating that birthday, talking to Jason Vines. I'm just back from Japan. Um, that was a long way to go, but uh, first time I've been in, J in Japan. Uh, really fascinating country, and also obviously fascinating uh, auto culture over there. And uh, Jason Vines spent a lot of time over there uh, as a, a communications chief for both Ford, Chrysler, and Renault Nissan. So uh, be interesting to catch up with Jason about the Japanese. And uh, their auto companies, Manny Katakis is going to join us, uh, Eric Peters, and uh, and I just back from the New York Auto Show a couple weeks ago. Uh, New York Auto Show much diminished from previous years, but still lots going on uh, in New York, uh, in the industry. And I sat down with a number of folks in New York uh, talking with Mike Koval, uh, about the uh, first Ram EV truck that was introduced in New York. Also talked to Kirk Call, who's a designer of the first three-row SUV EV also that was introduced in New York. So uh, that's all coming in the second hour. Uh, so lots to get to today. As always, give us a call here, 313-778-7600. If you want to join the conversation, of course, uh, if you can't uh, take in the whole show, Today, uh, you can always find us on podcast. Uh, the show goes to podcast next week on all your favorite channels, Spotify, Google, Apple, Detroit News. So lots of ways to access car radio in addition to our live Saturday show. And we are now live with Ted Ryan, who is the head of Ford Archives. Ted, how are you? Thanks for having me on, Henry. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, always good to have you on the program, and uh, we're, we're celebrating a, a, a birthday. 59 years old for Mustang. Doesn't feel like the Mustang is 59, does it? It's a pretty pretty spry sports car. It is a spry sports car because it's been reinvented for each generation and has become sort of the, the car for that generation. We, we've talked about it in the past, you know, the origin story of the Mustang, how it it was born out of the Falcon. The Falcon was sort of a dowdy family mobile, and Lee Iacocca wanted something to appeal to the, the baby boomers. 
and uh, had his designers work on something sporty. I just found a document in the archives that cracked me up, but it had a picture of two babies on this flow chart uh, showing how the, the population was getting younger and actually more fluent at the same time with, with double incomes and uh, with more women in the workforce and uh, more families getting a second car. So the Mustang was the perfect thing. Introduced in New York at the World's Fair and frankly took the world by storm, uh, but has then been reimagined for each generation to the point where you get the dark horse now uh, with its monster V8 five-liter engine uh, that's ready for the, for the road today. Yeah, and, and there, you know, there's so much, uh, Ted, uh, that comes out of the 1960s. I mean, we, we're, we're celebrating birthdays of, of all kinds of cars, uh, uh, that came out of that era, uh, Ford, obviously, Ford GT, uh, 40 that won Le Mans, uh, during those years. And we continue to celebrate the Ford GT today, but other brands were really born, uh, from those years. Porsche really defined itself, uh, in the 1960s. Uh, I'm about to go to Milan on a trip, uh, with Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo really, uh, kind of came to the fores in American uh, uh, you know, as, a, as an accessible American uh, brand uh, back then in the 1960s. Uh, what, what do you think's going on? I mean, is it is it is it post-war? Is it post-World War II? America's just kind of getting back uh, its mojo, and we're and, our, and we have the wealth to buy these kind of cars. Uh, what, you know, what's going on in the 1960s? All of the above, and, and look what happened in the greater world around you, and where you had music changed, and suddenly you get the Beatles, and you get architecture changing, and uh, at the same time you get the intergenerational strife of the Vietnam War protests. So uh, the, the world was turned on on its ear, and design was freed. Might be a good way of saying it. Suddenly, if you can if you can dream it, you can build it, and you get all these amazing vehicles. Uh, like you said, the Mustang, and, and our competitors are, are making fantastic products at the same time as well. It's sort of a halcyon days, but then, as we know, the 70s come along, and they're not quite as halcyon with, uh, uh, with the fuel lines and the uh, gas shortage and the uh, Arab oil crisis. So, uh, you know, the, the history is cyclical. So uh, but I like to celebrate the 60s, and then we kind of gloss over the 70s a lot. Although i got to admit, uh, the Lincoln Land Yachts, the uh, Mark 3s and 4s, are quite impressive in their own right. Uh, but back to Mustang. It, it's Mustang time. It, it, it was a car that fit that generation perfectly. And the, the user stats are amazing to me, too. It's like 43% of all of them were sold, were sold to women. Uh, Carol Shelby derisively called it a secretary's car. Well, it was. It could be. Uh, a lot of secretaries bought it. The first one ever sold was sold to a school teacher, uh, and she she saw it and she actually uh, coaxed the dealer into selling it two days before uh, she was supposed to in, in Chicago. Uh, so it was a car that appealed to everybody, and it was the sporty, stylish lines. There's a famous study where they brought 52 families uh, with young children and to look at the Mustang. And, and almost universally, those 52 families, oh, it's too small, it's only two doors, we can't get the kids in. But then when they heard the price, uh, which was about $2,300, suddenly they began to figure out that that's, inflation-wise, Henry, that's about nineteen, eighteen thousand 18000 in today's dollars. They began to figure out how they could make it work because it looked so cool. Uh, so that, and then my dad did. I've got a great picture of me at five years old, up and down Paulus's '66 yellow Mustang, uh, and I know he loved that car. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great memory. It's great that you got that uh, photograph. Yeah, you know, and you also go back to the sales figures uh, of those initial Mustangs. As you say, it was just they're crazy uh, popular. I think the, the sales figures were like four hundred thousand a year, weren't they initially? Four four fifty two the first year, and we could have sold more if we could have built more. Twenty two thousand the first day. It actually caused something that we called internally a Ford Mustang mania to the point where one person who was promised a Mustang in a dealership in Texas actually slept in the car overnight so that the dealer wouldn't sell it to somebody else. Uh, and it was in Arkansas. We've got this great picture of a Mustang up on a, a rack because they couldn't lower the rack after having uh, checked the oil and everything because so many people were crowding underneath it. Uh, the the marketers at Notre Dame were pretty clever and in South Bend, Indiana. They sent a, a note to all the graduating seniors at Notre Dame saying, hey, wouldn't you look great in a Mustang, and caused them any fervor down at the dealership. Uh, but that that type of excess, you saw everywhere. So you, you saw it with Beetle Mania. You saw it with Mustang Mania. It was just, I think there was something in the water that generated the level of excitement that, that just was palpable. Yeah, yeah and, there's, and, and, and uh, this, this country has just gotten wealthier and wealthier uh, since today. Uh, uh, vehicles uh, that sell 400. There's no there's no vehicle outside of a pickup truck, outside of a outside of a Ford uh, F-150 or a Chevy Silverado that sells uh, over 450,000 uh, vehicles a year. I think the top selling non pickup is uh, the the um, uh, Toyota Rav4. It's right around 400,000 units, and the Mustang now is a, is a niche car. It's about 80,000 units. So. Uh, we, we've just seen an enormous diversification of the market since then, I guess, haven't we? We have, and that's part of the Mustang story, too, is the fact that the, the Mustang, I think once Carroll Shelby got a hold of it and once the engines became bigger and suddenly the Mach 1 and the, uh, the bullet car, and the, you know, it, it became more of a performance vehicle, which made it more niche. Uh, still a fantastic car. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the scene of James Bond driving the Mach 1 on two wheels through Las Vegas is iconic. And it, and the bullet uh, chase scene, iconic. But once again, those are muscle cars. Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds, iconic. Uh, the, but that's not a car that's appealing to the, to the universe. It's appealing to the people that have the free spirit. And that free spirit is what that underpins the Mustang itself. I've got to say, I got the coolest email from the head of the Ian Fleming Foundation. Ian Fleming, for those who don't know, wrote uh, James Bond, uh, and he was in Brussels at an exhibit called Bond in Motion, which featured some of our cars. But he's looking for the first Mustang to appear on film, which uh, you can, while your friends with trivia tonight, appeared in Goldfinger. Uh, so we were trying to track down the VIN numbers. Uh, he thinks he's found one as a barn find in France. So uh, I got the coolest job in the world. I'm, I'm opening my email, and then the email pops in from the Ian Fleming Foundation trying to verify a Mustang uh, from Goldfinger, one of my favorite Bond movies. So it uh, doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that Mustang in that uh, movie. That's a really cool email. I, I suspect we're going to be hearing more uh, from you about that, that car. That's uh because the Bond franchise is about to evolve, right? Or we're, we're moving beyond Daniel Craig, and uh, I, that, that's kind of a neat historic opportunity. 
It is, and uh, they actually they have the uh, access to the Mach One that was in uh, 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 Diamonds Are Forever that was on two wheels. There are actually seven of those if the story holds true, uh, uh, and you know several were were uh, damaged in production, but one of them is still extant, and it's at that exhibit, Bonds in Motion in Belgium. No, if, if we find it, believe me, you'll you'll hear far and wide. The story gets even better. I wrote Henry Mann, uh, son of uh, Alan Mann, famous from Alan Mann Racing, and Henry had uh, and, and Alan Mann had actually prepped that Mustang uh, for the film production because the very first thing Ford did when we built the Mustang is we sent some to Europe to be raced in the Tour de France, and Henry Mann prepped those. They they came in first and second at the Tour de France, by the way, a 10-day endurance race, not what you expect from a Mustang. Uh, but but Henry told me that they did prep the one for the movie Goldfinger and that he has the VIN numbers uh, in his files. So uh, there will be more to come on this as soon as I as, as soon as I tie all the, the elements together. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's what I love having Ted Ryan uh, down there burrowing into Ford archives. There's all kinds of uh, great stuff to look forward to. Well, Ted, uh, appreciate your coming on the program as ever, and uh, and uh, let's blow out the candles on the 59th birthday and celebrate Mustang. Thanks for having me on, and you have a great day, Henry. Sounds like you got a great lineup of guests. I, I, I'm going to tune in myself. <laughs> yeah, it was a good show. Thanks, Ted. All right, we're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. And on the other side, we're going to be talking to Jason Vines about Japan and Japanese automakers. You're on Car Radio 910 AM. Hi, it's Pastor J.L. Jefferson, Senior Pastor of Good News International Ministries. Looking for a place to worship on this Sunday? No problem. Be my special guest on this Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. for anointed preaching, singing, and lunch after church. We are currently worshiping at the Mary Grove College Theater, located at 8425 West McNichols Road at the corner of Wyoming in Detroit. This is a free citywide worship event. Simply go to eventbrite.com, type in Good News International Ministries, and reserve as many seats as you want. We want to give back to the community. The person that brings the most guests will receive $100 in free gas. Join us this Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. Call 248-971-8954 for transportation or prayer requests. Good News International Ministries. See you on Sunday. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. 63. Balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. I had no energy. 
for months and months and months. I had no energy, and I'm a very active person. And my husband was noticing that I was tired all the time, and I was slow at everything that I was doing. And I kept listening to the commercials. And, you know, you don't know if something's going to help you or not. But I decided this was something I was going to do. And lo and behold, in about four days after taking them, I was repotting plants. I was doing other things. My husband said to me, you seem to have more energy. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm telling you, nothing has ever made such a difference. So anyway, I'm very happy. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code RADIO5. Attention! Do you owe back taxes, fines, and penalties to the IRS? The IRS now offers new relief options for taxpayers affected by COVID-19, but you can't go it alone. Call Tax Solutions now. Our team of former IRS agents and tax professionals can get you the best deal. We know the COVID-19 rules. Call us and never speak to the IRS again. I couldn't sleep. We were being audited. I called Tax Solutions now and a great big weight was lifted off my shoulders. I called Tax Solutions now and they got the IRS off my back. Tax Solutions now had my wage garnishment lifted in 48 hours. The virus has caused the IRS to take extensive action to help taxpayers. So if you owe $10,000 or more, this is the best time in years to settle your tax debt. I qualified for the Fresh Start program. I paid less than I owed. Remember, the IRS will not give up until you pay. Call Welcome back into our radio. We're here on 910 AM, the Superstation, and uh, we are talking uh, cars here <clears throat> with uh, a good friend of ours, Jason Vines, who has uh, uh, been in the communications, the auto communications business uh, for a long time. And Jason is one of the first people that I thought of last week when I was in Japan. I made my first trip across the Pacific. Uh, to that great island nation, and um, and it's a uh, obviously a, 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 a history going back uh, uh, centuries, well before uh, the United States was ever born. There's so much history there, but there's also so much uh, automotive history uh, there, and it's uh, very different on the island of Japan than it is here in the United States. In fact, it's it's striking uh, how few uh, Toyotas that you see in the United States that you see in uh, on the island of Japan. It's a totally different uh, automotive set, and so it's uh, fascinating to me uh, how uh, the the, uh, the Japanese auto industry and Toyota and Honda and Nissan in particular uh, became so successful in the United States because they're really developing entirely different cars for this market than what you see in. Uh, Japan. Uh, we have Jason Bynes uh, on the show to make sense of all this for us. Jason, how are you? 
Good morning, Henry. I am great and uh, here enjoying sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, it's uh, sunny in Phoenix. Uh, it's sunny here in Virginia, uh, where I am, and uh, we're, we're happy to welcome spring uh, uh, back to the northern latitudes of Detroit here eventually. Uh, <laughs> maybe, it'll, maybe it'll come in May. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of Detroit friends. I had a couple of Detroit friends posting. You know, Monday they were mowing their lawn. Tuesday they were shoveling the snow. <laughs> that's that's about right. I think that's what's going on there uh, this weekend. But um, uh, great to be in the southern uh, latitudes uh, for this week, anyway. So, uh, so Jason, you, you've uh, you, you've been in around the auto industry and really seen. You've seen the evolution of the uh, of the, the, the Japanese growth in this market. We were just uh, talking in a previous segment with Ted Ryan of Ford about how Mustang uh, used to sell 400,000 vehicles a year in the 1960s uh, at a time when the domestic automakers dominated the U.S. automotive landscape, selling you know 95% of the vehicles sold. I think maybe the VW Bug was the only foreign uh, vehicle in the 1960s that had any sort of penetration. Today, you have Toyota and General Motors uh, basically tied in market share at 20% each of the U.S. auto market. Um, uh, talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, what, what changed that, that uh, brought uh, Japanese automakers to the fore in this market? Uh, two things, uh, quality and trade issues. Um, I was born in 1960, and I remember when I started first noticing cars in six, seven, eight years old. Made in Japan meant crap. Um, but they turned that around, and by the late 70s, early 80s, made in Japan meant number one quality. And, and that exists today. I mean, I've never been a fan of the Camry from a styling standpoint or anything, but it's, it, for the last 20, 30 years, it's bulletproof, and it has kept its resale value as good as anything on the market. So their, their focus on making a quality vehicle changed everything for them. And then, of course, trade. And I was a part of this working on loan to the Trade Association of Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and so forth, when we were accused, of, along with Lee Iacocca, of bashing the Japanese because their market was closed and ours was completely open. And we demanded, you know, build your products here. And I think Lee Iacocca was one of the leaders saying, build your vehicles here. Well, what did they do? They started building their vehicles here. So whether it was in Ohio or whatever, Marysville and so forth, they brought so much of their manufacturing. Even though they continued to import a lot of the parts that went into it, they still started assembling vehicles in in um, the United States, and it took away that argument that they were that they were hurting the U.S. economy. No, they were they were full players. They were vital parts of the community, and so they they. They didn't shy away from it, and I got to say, they were very smart in embracing building vehicles in the United States, and it and it's, it's, it's done them great service. And then, of course, you see a 
a separate Japanese company, Nissan, which I worked for for a couple of years. Nissan, uh, Mr. K brought Nissan to the market in the late 60s, and he had a hell of a time uh, getting a, a foothold because no, none of the big dealers wanted a Nissan franchise. And so he ended up going to used car dealers and giving them a Nissan franchise, and, and the rest is, is history for Nissan. They become they became a major player in the U.S. market and had some troubles along the way several times, but continue to be a strong player in the U.S. market and in Mexico and literally around the world. So, again, it was quality and it was trade issues. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating about uh, Nissan getting in this market through uh... – uh, through used car dealers, and, and uh, but, but you know, and 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 to evidence to your point, you know, you just go uh, three hours south of Detroit, and Honda uh, dominates uh, the northern Columbus area with uh, two major manufacturing plants, all those Accords and and uh, CRVs uh, in this market come out of that plant. But the, you know, the other thing, Jason, that's, that struck me in Japan, and I, I was in Tokyo, I was in Kyoto, I was in Nara, three very different uh, metropolitan areas. Uh, uh, Nara is about the size of Charleston, West Virginia, where I uh, hail from, and Tokyo is, the, is bigger than New York City. And yet, <clears throat> wherever you went in Japan, uh, all the cars were tiny. I, I call them toasters. I mean, the, the most common car you saw in Japan was an oversized toaster. The, these these little box cars, all the all the Japanese manufacturers make them. You don't see any of those in the United States. Um, the biggest thing you would see in Japan was uh, was uh, equivalent to a, a Sienna Toyota Sienna minivan uh, over here. That was pretty much the range of your cars. And yet these manufacturers, Toyota and Honda, have figured out exactly what the United States customer wants. How, how is that possible? How does an island nation in the middle of the Pacific figure out what the biggest consumer market in North America wants to drive? Uh, because they're not stupid. Um, and they realize there's a different mindset in Japan with vehicle ownership versus the United States. Even though uh, Bill Ford famously he erroneously said uh, in 2001, America's lost its love affair with car. It's not true. We uh, we love our cars. We personalize our cars. They become part of our persona. In Japan, uh, I believe, from my from my experience, they're they're merely transportation. Um, and we, as, as U.S. automakers, we failed when we were complaining about trade and how their market was closed because we send vehicles over there that didn't do well in the market, that, that they weren't right-hand drive. They were too big. Um, the only vehicle that I can remember that did halfway decent was the Ford Mustang. Um, but I remember at the Tokyo Motor Show, I'm trying to think the year, it must have been about 2007, we, or maybe it's before that, we launched the Dodge Viper at the Tokyo Motor Show. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> what a boneheaded move that was. <laughs> I think I think we sold two. Um you know, made a gas guzzling monster car. I love the Viper, by the way. But it was just so wrong for the Japanese market. And and but they were smart they're not stupid people. And uh they they did the research on what Americans wanted. 
and, uh, and, and, and they started off with the quality because they, they knew that a, the consumer appreciated a vehicle that didn't break. And then, and, and I will say the styling for, for 20 years of, of, of Japanese vehicles was hideous. But they finally got some styling. They hired some American stylists and European stylists. They, they brought some style to their vehicles. And uh, they're just incredibly reliable. And, and, and different Japanese companies have a different segment. I mean, uh, Subaru has one of the highest loyalty rates in the entire industry. I've never figured it out. I think Subarus are, are tremendously uh, overrated. I mean, they're solid, they're reliable, but they don't get the greatest gas mileage. They're not the most utility-wise. Um, but people that buy Subaru buy another Subaru at another Subaru. Yeah, we used to yeah and you like you say, back in, yeah, yeah. As you say, yeah, they figured out uh, the American market. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest Subaru uh, that you see that I saw in Japan was a Subaru Impreza, uh, which is the smallest vehicle that they sell in this market. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's extraordinary how they've uh, figured things out here. Well, Jason, I uh, appreciate your joining the program as always. And uh, who knows, maybe you and I will Absolutely. take a Japan trip together. Hey, I'd love to. I, I still have some famous haunts there for the best sushi I've ever had in the world. <laughs> Sounds good. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a break here, hear from our sponsors on the other side. We're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about Corvette with uh, Miami Katakis of Muscle Cars and Trucks here on Car Radio 910 WADL gets a facelift and is now My 38 Detroit. Along with a facelift comes new programming on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesdays, Chicago Fire. Wednesdays, Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago PD on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago PD to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more for you to enjoy on My 38. The Word Network has been broadcasting inspirational messages around the world since the year 2000. And we keep getting bigger and better and more innovative. Seen all around the world, we bring you the best teaching, impartation, singing, and inspiration. If you want original programming, we have that too. The Word Network is your exclusive source for all things inspiration. And we can be found on every device imaginable. If you want to be uplifted and inspired, you need The Word Network. My38 is offering a great special that cannot be refused. Are you looking for a great deal on TV advertising? Are you searching for an avenue to get your business name out to the public? With My38, we are offering a great special with 100 commercial ads for a great price. This offers for a 30-day ad placement. Please contact Devin C. for more information at 248-357-4566 or email at d.calhoun at thewordnetwork.org. This excludes political ads. Have you thought about advertising your business on our 9, 10 a.m. superstation? Our audience is bigger than ever, and your investment will be lower than ever. Find out how you can grow your business. Give us a call during business hours and ask for Henry, 248-357-4566. We will tell your story, and more folks than ever before will come to your door. 248-357-4566. Ask for Henry, the super audience at our 9, 10 superstation, wants to hear about you. Call now. 
Hey, welcome back into Power Radio. You're on 910 AM Superstation. And as a reminder, you can always uh, uh, get us, uh, in addition to live radio, you can hear us on our iHeartRadio, and you can also pick us up on the 910 AM Facebook page. So uh, more great ways to access your favorite car radio program. Our next guest is Manny Katakis, who is a good friend of the program, um, founder of Muscle Cars and Trucks. And Manny knows that I am a sucker for stories about Corvette SUVs. At the Detroit News a few years ago, uh, actually, we, we, we ran a whole <coughs> article uh, about what a Corvette SUV might look like. We, we, we uh, mocked one up. We did a design. We speculated with uh, former engineers at GM about what kind of powertrain uh, might go into a Corvette SUV because we thought, uh, you know, if Porsche can make SUVs and Jaguar can make SUVs, then wouldn't it be great to have a, Cor- a V8-powered Corvette? So this uh, last week, uh, there were some press reports that, uh, GM was going to do just that. Uh, a couple press reports uh, reported that uh, there was going to be a uh, Corvette SUV fired by a V8, very similar to what we uh, motorheads at the Detroit News envisioned a few years ago. And uh, I got a note from Manny saying, Henry, not so fast. Manny, Manny, uh, welcome to the program. And, uh, Tell us what you're what you see in in uh, Corvette's future. Sure. Hey, Henry. Um, well, I think if you're gonna write about Corvette SUVs, you got to make it believable. And the first sort of thing that was really kind of a red flag for me was speculation that it was going to be on the same platform as the bygone ATS and CTS, the Chevrolet Camaro and current CT4 and CT5, that platform was never really designed for for an SUV. And the second thing is is you, you have to consider that GM is truly going all in on electric and, you know, commercial vehicles, large vehicles notwithstanding. And for them to put the budget together to develop a – a V8 Alpha chassis SUV was just very uh, far-fetched to me. So I did some yeah. digging. And that was, and, and Manny, that was the big tease, wasn't it? Was that the 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 the, um, the key to doing a Corvette SUV was always that you needed a rear-wheel drive platform. And so the idea that this would be on the Alpha platform, the platform you described, the rear-wheel drive platform that powers the uh, uh, the, the, the Cadillac CT4 and CT5 seemed credible because that is a genuine rear-wheel drive platform. But you, but you say that's that's going away entirely as GM goes electric. Yeah, I mean, eventually, right? Like, there's, there's going to be uh, CT4 and CT5 for, for a while. They're even going to have refreshes. That, that, that platform might go to the end of the decade. But it's not really going to expand beyond that. Now, I'm not. I'm not here to say that there like never won't be a Corvette SUV. That's like saying, well, we have a new Camaro before the sun burns out, right? Like probably. Will we have a Corvette SUV before the sun burns out? Probably. 
it's it's just that from what I understand, they're 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 going to put out a sedan first, and I believe that if it's received well, then they'll they'll depart even farther from the sports car and do the SUV. Maybe that's the logic there is, is that a sedan doesn't seem as far away from the sports car as an SUV would. So they're doing the sports car first. And the sports car, by the way, is going to be electric. So you already are looking at, you know, the immediate uh, second vehicle wearing a Corvette badge being an EV. And only an, uh, an EV. There's not going to be a, an, an alpha platform a Corvette sedan, right? It's going to be Altium. So, with with that in mind, right, you're 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 already sort of like <clears throat> seeing seeing this. You know, you can put the pieces together a little bit, and and understand that that if there's going to be a Corvette SUV, it's going to be electric, and it, it it's going to come after the sedan. Now, I think that at one point it was probably closer to being greenlit. And maybe, you know, as of yesterday, who knows, maybe they did green light something I haven't heard yet. But basically, they want to get the design right. They keep hearing about the design. And if the design isn't right, they're not going to green light the, uh, the, the program. They don't just want to make it look like uh, a, 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 a C8 on silk or a C8 with a bubble roof. They want to make it look like uh, it, its own thing. Yeah, and you know, Manny, the uh, uh, Mustang, uh, we were talking, uh, we were celebrating the 59th birthday of Mustang earlier in the program. Mustang has, uh, uh, has gone that route, uh, a very similar route you're describing for Corvette. They took the Ford Mustang, iconic uh, sports car, and uh, they turned that uh, design into an electric SUV. It seems to have uh, uh, been reasonably successful in the EV space, but maybe more importantly, uh, it's, it's helped save the V8-powered Mustang because the EV Mustang helps gain enough credits that they can continue to produce uh, the V8 uh, Mustang that people love. Is, uh, is you think there's a similar calculation there for Corvette? I, I think that eventually yes and i i think i think ford did a, a really smart thing with maki and i think i think you'll see basically that strategy play out with a with a electric corvette sedan again happening before any suv happens <clears throat> and 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 so the i remember like adam jonas from from uh the morgan stanley the analyst from morgan stanley said that the corvette brand is a 12 billion dollar idea um, I don't know where he came up with that number, but I think he's also right, right? Like there's there, there's a, probably a lot of cachet, uh, a lot of untapped equity in that in that name, and to make a Corvette brand only makes sense. And 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 looking at the the regulatory uh, environment, uh, an electric Corvette SUV makes even more sense. But who knows, right? We'll probably maybe by by. You know, we can we can circle back around in in like 2026 or something, and we can uh, we we can we can we can do a temperature check and see what's what's about to happen. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, you know these uh, sports car uh, SUV brands have been uh, wildly popular. I mean, Porsche sells yeah. far more SUVs today than it does uh, sports cars. Same for Maserati, same for uh, Jaguar. All these uh, sports car brands. 
uh, have figured this out long ago. I think the first Porsche Cayenne SUV was back in uh, 2001, for goodness sake. Why do you think it took so long for Corvette to, to, uh, to catch up to this idea? As you say, uh, your crystal ball says they're going to produce a, uh, a, a sedan version of the Corvette first. Uh, why do you think it took uh, the Corvette brand so long? <clears throat> the same reason why it took the, the Corvette to go mid-engine for so long, right? It's just the, uh, the, the behemoth moves slowly. And I think with, with uh, the Corvette sedan, the Corvette SUV, this is a, it's, it's probably a very delicate subject, right? And, and, and it's like, why would you, um, why, why, why would you upset your, your audience in, in, in such a way? I'm not saying that, you know, GM isn't scared of doing so. Like, they've, they've definitely uh, done so in the past. And you kind of think about, like, Camaro going away after 2024 model year. They're they're definitely still doing that in the present, but you know maybe Corvette's just uh, different. Yeah. Uh, last thing for you, Manny. Uh, I think you've uh, got a little Silverado news for us. Uh, what did you see a, 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 a heavy duty Silverado recently? Yeah, there's the um, Silverado. So they're going to do a Silverado HD ZR2. So it's the third wow. installment. Of of the ZR2 sub-brand, right? So you get you can get your, your Colorado ZR2, you can get your Silverado 1500 ZR2, you get your or your Silverado HD ZR2. And and even, I think it was yesterday, they, they, they teased the new Colorado ZR2 uh, Bison. And I just got, got out of uh, a, a GMC Sierra um, AT4X AEV edition, which is effectively a Silverado ZR2 Bison um, equivalent. And, and yes, and, and, and keep up with me if you can. We're, we're kind of going through a lot of alphabet soup here, but but there is going to be a Silverado HD ZR2 Bison as well. But there, the price has that's going to be a that's going to be a beast. And uh, how much do you think that might cost? That's going to be quite a vehicle. Six figures, you know, the, for the Bison. For the well, you know, let, let's let, let's think about it. It's a twenty. It's a twenty five hundred. It's its own trim level. It's got uh, all of these, you know, really good off road features, right? You've got you've got the the locking rear. You've got the Multimatic dampers, thirty five inch uh, Goodyear Wrangler Territory MT tires, but it's missing the front locker. And I and I, you know, a little disappointing when you look at the there two. Of vehicles, otherwise um, the Silverado 1500 and the Colorado, they both have front lockers, and that was the big, uh, you know, unique selling proposition for those trucks when they were kind of coming to the market, specifically Silverado, like coming 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 under powered compared to uh, Raptor compared to TRX, but but commanding, you know relatively similar pricing and so so you had to kind of position these trucks as different vehicles um to raptor to trx and 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 now with 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 the new silverado hd uh zr2 you know you're, you're kind of looking at what was basically a tremor because you can get it in a gas and you can get it in a v8 um the tremor i don't i don't think the tremor has a uh they've got it's got locking hubs um so maybe it does have a I think it's got locking hubs. I don't know if it has a locking front differential. Um, anyway, 
it's it, it basically, you know, you got to look at the pricing for those, and then and then we'll see, we'll see. So, so I, I, I at the high end, six figures. At the low end, eighty grand, right? <laughs> that's wild, and that and that's how you pay for your uh, that's how you pay for your EV investment, uh, more and bigger, uh, <laughs> more and bigger gas powered uh, pickup trucks. That's, uh, that's that's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Manny Katakis, uh, thanks for joining us as always, and and I wish you a great weekend. Yeah, Henry, enjoy Virginia. All right, we're going to take a break here. Hear from our sponsors, and on the other side, we're going to be talking to Eric Peters of ericpeters.com. We're on Car Radio, 910 AM. The all-new 910 Superstation is your number one source for urban talk radio. If you're looking for the best in radio programming, look no further. You can now listen in on a multitude of audio platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Listen Notes, and coming soon to Amazon Music, Good Pods, and Overcast. 910 AM Superstation, the largest, strongest, 50,000-watt urban radio station in town. 910 AM Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 100 spots for $600 with a must-air-within-30-day policy, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Devin C. now at 248-357-4566. That's 248-357-4566. Or email at d.calhoun at thewordnetwork.org. This excludes political ads. Did you know most vitamin supplements don't even come from food? Even the products with colorful fruits and vegetables adorning the labels are seldom derived from produce. Typically, supplements are synthetic, made in a laboratory. Modern science may synthetically imitate these chemicals, but your body isn't fooled. It knows the difference, and it craves quality materials to build, repair, and fight illness. You need to consume fruits and vegetables daily in a variety of colors, as well as whole grains and other fresh foods. Food. That's why I formulated Balance of Nature. I wanted to be able to give my patients a natural alternative to the cheap, unnatural chemistry by giving them real fruits and vegetables. In fact, the only ingredients inside of Balance of Nature are whole fruits and vegetables. Don't settle for imitation nutrition. Reach for the good stuff, the real stuff. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com to get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code RADIO5. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile My curiosity running wild Cruising and playing the radio all right, welcome back into Car Radio. You're on 910 AM, the Superstation, and uh, things are things are uh, getting a little crazy in the uh, regulatory environment these days. Uh, uh, I don't think most drivers are aware of this at all. In fact, I am just 50 miles south of Washington D.C. here in Stratford. Virginia, and you don't see any electric cars on the road here. Uh, go into Washington, D.C., and uh, you'll see a smattering of EVs, uh, some Teslas uh, here and there, maybe a Chevy Bolt, um, maybe a, 
a Volkswagen ID4, but uh, for the most part, even here uh, in the uh, regulatory hub of the United States, uh, most of what you see is gasoline vehicles. And yet last week, uh, the EPA issued rules dictating that 70% of the cars we will drive in a short nine years will be EVs. And uh, so uh, we were asking our good friend Eric Peters, who also resides uh, here in Virginia and, and uh, uh, on, the perimeter, on the perimeter of the regulatory beast, uh, to help explain to us uh, what the EPA sees that consumers don't see. Eric, how are you? I'm good, Henry. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, for your comment, what fascinates me about this, and this is sort of a macro point, is that rather than outlaw things, you know, forbid us from having X or Y, what they do is they outregulate things. Um, the EPA hasn't said that it will be illegal to manufacture vehicles that aren't EVs. They just made it basically impossible to do it and meet the regulatory regime. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, and then, of course, you know, the listeners to this show know uh, that the automakers are already feeling the pinch of these regulations. Uh, the Dodge Charger and Challenger, wonderful vehicles, very popular vehicles, yeah. will cease to exist uh, uh, after the 2024 model year because they just can't meet the regulations uh, without uh, paying hundreds of millions of dollars in fines. So uh, consumers are already starting to see... Uh, these regulations take effect, but uh, then to make the jump to you have to drive an EV, and I love EVs. I own a Tesla. I, I, uh, we were talking to uh, Ted Ryan earlier in the show. Mustang makes a Mach-E, uh, which I, I really enjoy driving, in particular the high-horsepower GT version. But for a customer to make the leap from, okay, I drive a Dodge Charger uh, today, and tomorrow I'm going to drive an EV. They're such different cars. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's really sort of a bizarre edict. Well, they're subverting choice, obviously, in the first place, and in the second, um, they're not taking into account to give them the benefit of the doubt the issues of cost, which are considerable, um, and also just of everyday practicality. You and I know because we you know we test drive them. You own them. Uh, that EVs have their own limitations. You know, they're great performers, and you have to think about, well, uh, where am I going to stop to get a charge, and how long have I got to wait? For a lot of people, that presents a real difficulty in terms of just everyday mobility and being able to just, hey, I need to go somewhere right now. I don't have a half hour to sit at a fast charger. I've got an appointment. I've got to be there in 10 minutes. Uh, and then there's the cost factor. You know, how many people can afford to spend the what is the figure now? It's about close to $50,000 that the average EV typically transacts for. That's, that's just beyond the means of the middle class. And, in fact, as you probably heard, Carlos Savares of, of Stellantis publicly said that a couple of weeks ago up in Detroit. Yeah, the, uh, the Tavares is, uh, is always an interesting guy uh, to listen to, and I, I uh, had the chance to interview him uh, at the New York Auto Show. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's pretty sober-minded about uh, what these regulations mean uh, for the industry. And it's really, uh, you know, kind of like uh, alcohol prohibition uh, back in the 1930s. This is carbon prohibition, uh, yeah. the, the uh, era that we're living in. But it's but but just like the alcohol prohibition, it was a prohibition that was that was uh, 
that, that was brought on the manufacturers of alcohol, and in this case of, uh, of automobiles, it wasn't the consumer that was paying the penalty. So, uh, you know, you, you got things like, like black markets and all kinds of weird uh, distortions in the market. And you have a wonderful piece uh, on your website. It's called Charge Lines. I encourage people to go yeah. to Eric Peters autos.com and, and read all of his uh, reviews and but he's also got uh, some wonderfully insightful piece and this charge lines uh, piece uh, you, you make an analogy uh, to the to the 1970s which is really the last time we we felt government presence in the auto market like we do today uh, talk about that uh, article you write a little bit yeah well the gas lines of the 70s which some people listening to this will recall um, were, the, were caused by a shortage of gasoline. That was fundamentally the problem. There simply wasn't enough available. Gas stations could only sell so much, and so people had to wait in line. With electric cars, it's different because it's, it's chemistry rather than politics. You simply cannot charge an EV in any amount of time that's analogous to filling up a, uh, a conventional vehicle. Minimally, you're looking at 15 to 30 minutes to put a partial charge back into an electric vehicle. And the problem with that is the problem with throughput. You know, if you think about a gas station and there's a car ahead of you at the pump, well, you've got to wait for him to fill up. Well, it only takes him five minutes to fill his car up, and then you can fill your car up and be on the way. But if there's an electric car ahead of you at the charging station, well, you're going to wait for him to charge, and that's 15 to 30 minutes. What if you're the third car in line? And this problem compounds. You know, as more and more cars wait for a charge, the line gets longer. And it's further compounded by the fact that you have less range generally with most EVs. So that means you have to do it more often, further compounding the problem. I don't see how they're going to resolve this. And I think we could end up with a situation that's kind of like a rebooting of the 70s, except it's something that can't be fixed. And I wish people would begin to think about it. Yeah, eventually uh, gas lines went away just because uh, you know, the consumer got sick of it and, and the government regulation went away and, uh, you know, you have, you have plenty of uh, oil out there. And I think, you know, Eric, it goes to one of the core issues about this so-called EV transition, and that, and that is the assumption on behalf of government. And I hear this a lot of, from advocates in the media who say, well, it's just an infrastructure issue. If, if only we had better infrastructure. But your, your charge line piece gets into the fact that even if you have the infrastructure in place, even if you have many, many more times uh, EV charging stations today than you do uh, currently, fundamentally, when you fill up a gas car, you get 500 miles in three minutes. Fundamentally, when you fill up an EV, you're going to get 100 miles in about 15 minutes. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a different factor in terms of filling up a car. Yeah, a gas tank uh, is something that can you can pump gas into the tank uh, at a very rapid rate because you know the fluid just flows from one container into another. That's not analogous to electric car battery packs, which have to draw power in from the source, and they can only absorb it at a certain rate. Any faster, you risk damaging the battery. You risk damage, you risk potentially a fire. You know, and there's really no way that I'm aware of in terms of the physics or the chemistry of it to. Uh, to, to bring that down to the point where it could be uh, charged up in anywhere near the same amount of time it takes uh, to fill up a gas tank. And something else people ought to understand, too, is that a battery 
is a storage device. And even these large batteries, you know, in a Tesla that weighs a thousand pounds, it can only store the rough equivalent of what, about seven gallons of gas. That's just the nature of the storage device. So you're, you're basically running around with about the equivalent of half a tank of gas in an EV. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, there are, there are, there are a lot of questions and, uh, Eric Peters will help us, uh, get the answers. Eric, uh, we appreciate you joining us as always. And, uh, great to be in your state. Nice to, uh, uh, be a couple hours away from you here in Virginia anyway. Well, yeah, is it pouring up there? We had a big, big thunderstorm this morning and it's only just now clearing out. Yeah. Yeah. So far, so good over here in the northern neck. Uh, we're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. And on the other side, we're going to uh, relive the New York Auto Show for you. You're on 910 AM, the Superstation. Balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. I had no energy. For months and months and months, I had no energy, and I'm a very active person. And my husband was noticing that I was tired all the time, and I was slow at everything that I was doing. And I kept listening to the commercials, and, you know, you don't know if something's going to help you or not, but I decided this was something I was going to do. And lo and behold, in about four days after taking them, I was repotting plants. I was doing other things. My husband said to me, you seem to have more energy. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm telling you, nothing has ever made such a difference. So anyway, I'm very happy. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 